It's a brand new year, and many people, attorneys included, are making resolutions to be more physically active. I'm ABA Journal podcast editor Lee Rawls, and I'm speaking with Ryan Dans and Keith Lee about how practicing martial arts can be a benefit for attorneys, both mentally and physically. Ryan, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your book? Uh, my name is Ryan Dans. Um, Thirty, newly just turned 37 years old, and I live in San Diego, California. Uh, my book just came out this past November. It is called Jiu-Jitsu Jurisprudence, um, and it's a work-life balance book um, that pairs Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, and all the benefits of it emotionally, mentally, physically, um, especially for someone that's an attorney or a professional and sits behind a desk 8 to 12 hours a day and sort of leads a very sort of either monotonous or um, frustrating work life. So that's the background of me. I've been training for just over five years. Um, before jiu-jitsu, I was an in-house counsel at a hedge fund with an office in San Diego and was not doing much else. Um, I was married at the time, and my life was just sort of revolved around my office life and my home life and nothing in between. And as my marriage started to break down and, and all the pains um, that went along with that, I sort of found jiu-jitsu coincidentally, and it really sort of revolutioned my life. So I was motivated to share that story with anyone else that's either been through the work um, the work stress or the marriage stress or the life stress that I experienced. And Keith, how about you? Uh, my name's Keith Lee. I'm a practicing attorney down in Birmingham, Alabama. I started off writing a blog associatesmind.com that went from nothing to being extremely popular in a very short amount of time despite anything I have to be doing with it. And that kind of propelled me out into the web and, and a network of all the pretty active legal bloggers that are out there. And as I got more popular over time, it led to me writing a book for the ABA, um, which is entitled uh, The Marble and the Sculptor. My book isn't as heavily martial arts focused as Ryan's is, but there's definitely chapters and sections throughout, and I definitely uh, lean on the martial arts training I received over the years as a sort of vehicle for viewing a lot of the progress that I think can be made in, in the profession. I haven't trained as much in the past couple of years getting our firm off the ground, but um, I still get in there and, and manage to sneak a roll in every now and then. So being a lawyer, um, you spend most of your time being kind of cerebral, a cerebral being. What benefits can lawyers and other professionals get through physical activity and martial arts? What, uh, what benefits can they get professionally and personally? Um, yeah, sure. So this is Ryan again. The way I wrote the book is I started off with sort of the mental benefits of jiu-jitsu. So um, what the what the – sport does to your mind and some of that is it can be found in high intensity exercising as well but a lot of the research that i found points to like stress relief coming from actually intense training um and that's obviously something that i think everyone can relate to on any level whether that's financial stress or kid stress or marriage stress work stress etc um and then there's actually physiological reactions or response in the brain itself and i'm and when i talk about that in the book, I'm pointing to sort of the endorphin releases, those highs that we feel, so whether that's the dopamine or the serotonin release. And so 
there's an actual physiological response that I've seen and I wanted to know more about. Like, why do I feel when I'm training for an hour? Why am I dripping wet with sweat? But why do I feel so good? Why, why is it like a high when I come out of, you know, a session? And so for the book's purposes, I had research. I didn't know, you know, I don't have a medical background. And so that's one thing that I gained from the sport beyond all the other wonderful things like camaraderie, um, you know, the emotional benefits, kind of loss of ego. Um, so that's something that I, you know, wanted to invest in and put it in the book, and that's what I found. One thing I found interesting looking at both of your books was the concept of rather than just looking at exercise as exercise, looking at a sport versus, say, being on the elliptical for three hours – is the idea of loss and how lawyers have to deal with loss all the time and how mentally training in something like martial arts can both accustom you to loss and give you a different perspective on it. Do either one of you want to address that? I'll I'll chime in real quick. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think echoing a lot of what Ryan just said, I mean, martial arts, Yes, I mean, and looking at it from the outside, someone who's never really done martial arts, it probably looks to be primarily a physical activity when I think anyone who's done martial arts for any significant amount of times will tell you it's it's equally a mental activity. And I think it can really help you deal with adversity because especially in something competitive like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I mean, and Ryan mentioned it, and it's, it's very key is um, it, when you start Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you're going to have your ego checked big time. Um, you know, it, it's it's really humbling. And it, that's the thing for a lot of lawyers that, you know, you can be as a lawyer, especially if you're successful, you're very confident, you know, you can have a lot, even if you're under pressure and you're, you're stressed, you know, outwardly you might be displaying high degrees of confidence. Um, and, it's important to get your ego checked and, and check yourself and know that you're not always the best at everything, that there's other people. And, and it kind of brings you down and it humbles you and, and, and makes you kind of look at things differently. And I think that's a, a really valuable thing um, that can be come from training in martial arts. Yeah, and, and just to add two cents to that, and Keith is exactly right. You know, I spent some time in the book um, in a subchapter talking about the ego. And I, I think about the ego with regards to jiu-jitsu and the practice of law two ways. I think of it like literally when you get choked out by a guy that's half your size um, and you're thinking, holy cow, like I'm not used to it. I'm not used to someone dominating me, you know, literally or figuratively. So I think that there's a real ego check in that moment. And then I think when you start to surround yourself with other people that do jujitsu, there's sort of a um, essence or a vibe or a culture that's cultivated in that setting. And I've been to many, many jiu-jitsu schools. I've been to schools in Rio and, of course, all over, you know, San Diego and Southern California. And the vibe is the same. You know, people walk in the mm-hmm. doors that have been practicing for 20 years, and they're very friendly, and they tend to go, you know, lighter with newer people. And there's just a very respectful culture involved. And that's certainly – you know, uh, uh, an approach to how they handle ego. There really isn't ego in jiu-jitsu, and it took me a long time, you know, to, to see that. You know, I was in my mid-30s or early 30s when I started doing this, and then slowly over time it just sort of went away. And, of course, you know, I am wired a certain way, so there's going to be some elements, but certainly not to the place and the degree it used to be before there was jiu-jitsu in my life. And the value in that goes well beyond the training session or the competition and kind of carries over. I'm much happier, I'm much more confident 
in, inside internally than I am the guy that has to, you know, promote my, my confidence anymore. So I thought that was pretty powerful. It's interesting that you talk about the friendliness of people who've been practicing for 20 years. Um, my father was an attorney. He retired a couple of weeks ago, actually, after 40 years. And he said um, one thing dealing with new lawyers, and Keith, you talk about uh, transitioning from law school to law practice and an associate's mind and, and all of this. He said one thing with dealing with brand newly minted attorneys is sometimes they think they have to show up and puff up and be super aggressive with opposing counsel uh, rather than realizing that, you know, everyone's, everyone's here to do a job and, and we can get along and, and be cordial. It's interesting that that holds true in martial arts as well. I think that from the outside, people might think that both law practice and martial arts require, you know, super aggression, and that's not the actual story of, of reality. Yeah, and, and, and I think there's something else to be added. You know, I think, you know, my dad's a litigation attorney, but a plaintiff's employment attorney for 30 plus years. I don't even know. I don't want to age him. But, um, and then I've done my own transactional legal practice. And, and just the difference in those two are, are night and day in terms of, you know, ego and aggression and the combativeness of people just from going from a litigation kind of environment to someone that practices transactional charges on an hourly basis probably never sees a courtroom in their whole career. Um, so that, that also plays a part in who we're sort of talking to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's say someone is trying to start out a new year right. How would they get started in martial arts? Not everyone can, uh, you know, start out by going to Rio and, and learning straight from the master. How can you, mm-hmm. in your own way, <laughs> in your own town, uh, get started on something like this? I was just going to say, you know, it varies from city to city to town to town. You know, Ryan's blessed to be in San Diego, and there's, you know, dozens of uh, jiu-jitsu schools for him to choose from. I mean, here where I live in Birmingham, Alabama, there's maybe five or six. And I think a big part of it that I always tell people, you've got to have the confidence just to go and go to one. But, I mean, I always tell people the biggest thing to look for is do you feel as though – the teacher, some, the, whoever the instructor is there, is someone you can have a relationship with, someone that you feel like you can learn from, someone that seems as though they have a good relationship with their students. You know, And it's not so much the new students. It's you need to watch how the senior students interact with the instructor. And if there seems to be camaraderie, if there seems to be everything Ryan was describing earlier in like a culture of friendliness, which is very universal and good jujitsu gyms, well, then that's the type of place that you should be. And if you go somewhere and it seems like there's negative energy there and people aren't getting along or the instructor is loose, just don't even waste your time. Just, just leave. Yeah, I mean, and just some background on my personal situation I alluded to earlier, I was kind of going through the downward spiral of my marriage unwinding. I just happened to find a jiu-jitsu school that was literally two freeway exits away from my house. So, you know, I can leave five minutes before the class starts. There's a 15-minute warm-up. We train for 15 minutes, and then we, you know, do some sort of technique or free roll for the last 30 minutes of class. And then I'm home within 10 minutes. So, you know, for 120 or 130 or 40 bucks a month, which isn't cheap, you know, but I can go three, four, five days a week sometimes. I, I don't train more than that because it can be a little bit harsh on your body after, you know, doing it that many days in a row. But, you know, for that amount of time, just, it's an hour commitment. Um, the, the friendships I've made in there have, you know, are lifelong and everlasting. And I got lucky that the school closest to me also happens to be one of the best schools. I think it's a little bit of a crapshoot, but 
it certainly has gotten to the point, it's so popular, there really should be schools within, you know, a 15-minute drive at most for, mo- for most folks in, you know, urban areas and, mm-hmm. and the suburbs even. So I think you just go in and you just, you know, you put on a key and you get sweaty for an hour and you'll feel alive and you'll feel great. And if it's like the places I've been to, they'll open, welcome you with open arms. And, and there's a lot of things that will start to happen immediately in, in that progress, emotionally and physically and mentally. Do you have to start out already in shape, or can you come and, and not have the kind of body type that people normally associate with, say, movie actors who do jiu-jitsu? Yeah, right. I mean, in San Diego, a lot of the Brazilian guys that are training at my school, they take their shirts off, their gis off, and it looks like they could walk out of a surfer magazine. And they didn't start off that way, especially the American guys that look that way now. A lot of guys that start don't start until they've been out of college, you know, for 10 years. And, you know, they've got kids and their life has slowed down and their physical fitness has slowed down. Yeah, I'd echo Ryan's. I mean, certainly it's – I mean, if you're in shape and you walk in the door, you're going to do better than someone who's not. But there's there's no reason someone who's – you don't need to be in, like, tip-top physical shape. You can go in and, and specifically if you're doing gi-focused, uniform-focused jiu-jitsu versus – no gi, which is just like shorts and a rash guard or something, which is really fast. I mean, gi is much slower. It can be very methodical. You're not freaking out and going all crazy. And again, as Ryan indicated, people who are experienced will go easier with new people. They'll recognize. As long as you check your, again, check your ego at the door, don't come in and spaz it out and go crazy and do anything like that. Experienced people will help you along. They're not going to make it a horrible experience for you at all. Yeah, and and there's a whole self-defense element. It's not just for the great workout. I mean, I think there's value in having self-defense skills, um, especially for women, but but I think for men, too, and it's not that you'll ever really need it. You know, I've been training for five years. I go out to the local bars from time to time. I, I do travel quite a bit, so I'm out at different events. I've never been confronted, and maybe that's the way of me feeling more confident in myself and I don't put myself in those situations or whatever it may be, but I'm glad I know a you know, self-defense skill. And, and I think that has, you know, many values, whether that's confidence or whether that is literally being able to defend myself if I have to. So it's, it's something that's not just a great exercise. Okay, well, thank you guys both for talking with us today. I really appreciate it. This podcast was brought to you by the ABA Journal. For more podcasts on the legal issues of the day, visit us online at abajournal.com or subscribe for free to the ABA Journal podcast on iTunes.